Well, hello there. Welcome to Journey Through the Epistles with Daniel Babalola. I am Daniel Babalola and I'm inviting you on a journey as we study the epistles in the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I believe that a solid understanding of what is contained in the epistles would serve as a strong foundation for all our Christian expression. And not just that, that when we take the words of the apostles and properly understand them in their context as they meant it to be understood, our entire Christian experience stands the chance of being so much more flourishing. So join me on this journey. Let's go. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the year 2024. Thank you for how it started so far. Thank you because you are faithful. You are good. You are God in our lives. I thank you for the privilege we get to study your word, to learn, to understand, to grow. And Lord, I pray that even as we take yet another step further um, through Second Corinthians, I pray that you open our eyes to understand your truth. I pray that your word pierces into our souls, shines as a mirror and corrects us, instructs us wherever we need that. I pray that all that we learn today and in this teaching, whether for those live here, whether for those that will join or listen to the recording that we're able to apply to our lives in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Once again, good morning, afternoon, um, whatever time it is you're listening from. Um, welcome to journey through second Corinthians part 28. Uh, the good news is we only have less than three chapters to go. We should be done with chapter 11 and might start chapter 12. And so we're almost done with second Corinthians. I think that's exciting. We've been here for well over seven months. So God has been faithful <laughs> almost a year. Um, boy, it's been worth it. I, I hope it's been worth it. I trust it's been worth it. Um, and so okay, by way of announcement, um, we won't be having Bible study next week, Saturday, and I'm going to send it again to the group as well. I have to be at a conference, unfortunately, so I won't be able to, um, it's an all day thing, so I won't be able to leave <laughs> to quickly have this um, Zoom meeting. So that's sad, but I don't foresee any issues going on for a while. So maybe till at least summer. So hopefully this will be the only break before we we uh, pay off all the other books and then we see how the air takes us. Um, so yeah, I think we can get right into it. If you haven't already, bring out your Bibles, your writing materials, your notepads, your iPads, whatever device <laughs> you are using. And um, last week, right, we started chapter 11, verse 1, but it was more a continuation of what we've been talking about in chapter 10, which was Paul having to resort to presenting his credentials um, in a way to prove to these people, the Corinthian church, that they can trust his ministry. It's a very sad um, turn of events, actually. These are people he brought to Christ 
discipled for a while, appointed elders, and then left, only to hear that they are being led astray by maybe Jewish false teachers or other false teachers, perhaps because they are more eloquent, who knows, maybe they are more handsome, maybe they dress better, whatever the reason. And so Paul is having to go through all of this just to remind them that, hey, God sent me to you. I'm equipped for this role. In fact, I'm more equipped. And so he's having to, in a sense, prove his apostleship, something that he perhaps would would never have done if not for the sake of these people. And so we're not done. We're still going to continue across. We're going to continue through that theme even into chapter 12, actually till the end of this, till the end of this book. So um, this is this is pretty much the last major theme of Second Corinthians. We've gone through so much. We've gone through finances. We've gone through the 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 roles of the apostles and the ministry of the apostles. Now we're talking about the defense of Paul's apostleship. And so there's a lot we're going to cover today. Last week our emphasis was what discerning the activity of the devil. Um, if you were here last week. I hope you remember, if you weren't here last week, I hope you've gotten a chance to listen. It's so important. Um, one of our key emphasis was that the devil transforms into an angel of light. And so in our interactions with, that means in our interactions with the devil, it won't be a red guy with horns and fork saying, do evil, sin, sin, sin. No. Sometimes, yes, he can be that blatant, but many times, we end up falling into the, the wilds of the devil through things we even thought were good or through little negligence here and there. And so we spent a lot of time looking at how the devil tries to get us, whether it's in the presentation of alternatives, whether it's in minimizing acts of consecration, whether it's inconsistencies in devotion, whether it's that friend, that relationship that would by relationship, I mean human relationship. I know it's February, so every, everybody, that word relationship. <laughs> so any, it could be romantic, it could be platonic, any relationship. That <laughs> I already said it, that for those of you that don't have anything to do February 14, just message me. We'll study the word of God together. Let's, let the Bible be our Valentine. <laughs> anyway, that friend, that that human relationship, that partner, that coworker that would simply whisper a suggestion, a question. He says, even, even better. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was I saying? Yes. And to pretty much cloud, say something for the singles. Wow. Bolo, well done. Happy Valentine's to you and your loved one. <laughs> Um, to cloud your to cloud your convictions, to minimize your convictions, to to question what God has said, and so we talked a lot about what it means to hold fast to Christian convictions, to hold fast to the will of God, even in the face of what the devil will try to do. And so, if you haven't listened, I highly, 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 highly recommend that you give that a listen just for what it means on a practical level because the devil is still disguising as an angel of light and it takes maturity and discernment to be able to see him even in things that might appear to be good amen today we're going to talk about 
something else still on this same theme of what it means to on one hand be a minister of christ but even more generically be a believer right because at the end of the day all that ministers of the gospel are are examples for us and so it's going to be a bit serious because we're talking about weighty matters and i trust that you will follow me to the end <laughs> all right so if you haven't already second corinthians 11 verse 16 that's where we're starting from we'll try and make it through the the entire chapter today as usual i'm reading from the nkjv and sometimes i might switch translations for sake of clarity so let's let's read together all right um it says i say again let no one think me a fool if otherwise at least receive me as a fool that i also may boast a little. Paul is, like Paul writing this, and I, I want you to picture something we did at the start of First Corinthians, right? Picture the heart, the emotions behind what Paul is having to do here. He's having to literally, in quotes, boast about who he is in the Lord for these people. That's like your, your dad having to like, ah, but I did this, I did that. Why don't you love me as a father? It's painful. This is different from what we talked about last week or two weeks ago, how we went second to, ah, see my new shoe or see my new shirt. And you are intentionally trying to show yourself off. This is Paul doing something that is probably not even a proper Christian virtue, but because of necessity, he's having to remind them that ah, I'm the one that did this. This is what I've done. This is what we've been through. And so he's even saying it again. He says, I say again, let no one think me of a fool. Like, oh, Paul is saying all these things. Why is Paul boasting? Like, let no one think me of a fool. I'm not doing this to, to, to raise myself. I'm not doing this to make myself appear better. And he's saying, if otherwise, at least receive me as a fool so that I can also boast. That word also is so key because it means that the people Paul is trying to to win their hearts from, right? They boast a lot. That's the point. They are the ones that, so the, these false teachers, these people that are trying to lead the Corinthian church astray, their, 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 their presentation is not the gospel. What they bring to you is not the word of God. They bring themselves. Oh, this is who I am. This is what I've done. This is what God has made me. Follow me, all right? And Paul is saying that, on one hand, it's a foolish thing to do that they are constantly presenting themselves and not Christ. And Paul is saying, if not for anything, let me drop down to their level and show you that even on their level, you should still trust me over them. It's, it's pretty much a last. So he wouldn't rather do this. I'm going to see that. But it's something that is like, what else can I? I presented Christ. You don't want to listen. Okay, let me make it clear that even... <laughs> On these criteria that these people boast about, I'm still a better, a, a far superior apostle than they are. All right? And one thing we're going to emphasize in today's teaching is the idea of suffering and sacrifice. And I want you to, I want you to picture yourself in this because it would really help you understand the key message of this passage today, which is that what? Our identity in Christ or our walk with God is characterized by the things, 
not necessarily the things on the mountaintop, the things where it's like, oh my God, everything is so good. My prayers are getting answered. God loves me. I'm such a, Christianity is so sweet. As much as it is, the times where it's like, things weren't going as well. You had to stay consistent in devotion, even when it was not easy. The things you've had to sacrifice for Christ. And it's not even just something that is true spiritually. I mean, let, let's 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 think of this analogy. I remember this movie, Acrimony or so, right? And uh, I don't know if some of you have watched it. And the argument that followed of should he have left, was who was right, and all of that. But it's the same thing. Think about if you are a married woman or a married man, right? Um, and your relationship has been through so much. You guys, let's say you went through poverty at a point. You could hardly travel. You could hardly eat. Um, it was hard, right? Let's say you both of you had to make compromises. People were busy, all of that. And then 10 years down the line, your marriage is now getting better. So God has started to bless you. You guys have good jobs. Oh, you've moved to a nice house. You can afford to go on trips every year. And then someone comes and says, is it not marriage? <laughs> What's the big deal? Or let's say someone comes and says, ah, I like your husband, though. <laughs> Maybe I should marry him. Or I like your wife. Or maybe I should marry her. When you think about the worth of your marriage, what, what, what does your mind, typically, what would your mind go to? It will be those times where you suffered together. Like, ah, after the 10 years, <laughs> do you know what we've been through? We hear that a lot. Do you know what we've been through? How can you come and undermine all of that? It shows that even as in all my sacrifice, as human beings, we find value in sacrifice. We find value in pain. It's the same thing with your education. When you think back of, oh, I say, ah, PhD. Let me not call her name. <laughs> say, ah, doctor. When they say, you didn't call me doctor? What are they referring to? Is it when they graduated? Or is it when they saw their score? No. When they think about, even all of you here, if you went to college, you went to whatever school you went to, when you think about it and you're gisting with your friends, where does your mind go to? The times you were you had to stay up all night for the exam the next day. The times you had to read and read and read to pass an exam. The times you were walking to class, right? The sacrifice it took you. The reason those four years are valuable, you might not even think about, oh, the times I saw my score or the times I walked up the stage. or it, Many times, it's, oh, when ah, my friends were, were putting our legs in cold water to stay awake or we're trying to take coffee just so that we can read, right? Or the time we had to do this, do that. The time we had to put together papers, right? Those are the memories that come to mind. Those are the memories that come to mind. The same thing with athletes. You say, oh, Messi, how do you feel? And you're like, it's been years and years of sacrifice and labor. And I'm so glad to see it lead to this event. I'm so glad to see it lead to this event. So instinctively as people, we know. We know that where we find value is in moments of sacrifice. And if I should dare say so, suffering and pain more than it is 
in the times where things seem to just be clicking. Because if if anything, it's the same, even as, as, as we evaluate our characters, if I ask you, what are the moments in your life that has taught you the most about God, that has strengthened your Christian convictions, that has that has made you who you are today? Almost everyone here, if not everyone, will point to a low moment in their lives that they had to go through. That they had to go through. In that moment, it was painful. In that moment, it's like God just changed. I don't, I don't want this. But you had to go through. And because you went through it, it changed you. It shaped you. It built you up. It, it gave you a certain form of conviction that ah, God is my person. There's nothing this world will throw at me that God can't see me through. And so I want you to keep that in mind because if at the end of the day, God's ultimate desire for your life is your growth and for you to become more and more like him, then it starts to make sense why there are certain situations God will not necessarily change because it's you that needs to change. not the situation. It's you that needs to change. And if it is going through that situation that will bring about that change, that trust, that humility, that, 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 that depth of character, then maybe it's necessary. Maybe it's necessary. No parents seeing their child want um, a baby learning to walk. You say, ah, foot below. Don't let him stand up or so that he won't fall. If you do that, the child will never walk. He has to stand up. He has to fall or she has to fall. They have to take a few steps. Shake, fall. That's the way they learn to walk. There's almost nothing, if anything at all, worthwhile in your life that has not come through sacrifice, suffering, and pain. And so what I want us to what I want us to allow the word of God to do as we read on through the rest of chapter 11 and into chapter 12, if at all you were afraid, if at all you, you had a matter of God, not me, or God, why me, or stuff like that, let the word of God change your mindset. Let your perspective towards growth in the face of all that life throws at you because life will throw a lot at you. Let it change a bit. Let it be more open. Amen? Amen. So let's, let's, let's uh, read on and we'll see what I mean by that. Verse 17, it says, When I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were, foolishly, in this confidence of boasting. Right? And so even Paul is recognizing that, and there are two interpretations to this verse. Some theologians would say, what Paul is saying, that what I'm saying, I'm not speaking by divine inspiration. Like, oh, okay, God did not ask me to say this, that this is me speaking just for the sake of boasting. And then some other, another perspective to this is, I'm not speaking in the way Jesus would have spoken. This is not how God would have a person speak, but necessity has demanded it. 
I lean more towards the second, right? Because I don't think Paul pen an entire letter to say, oh, God is not happy with me doing this. It's me. I chose to boast, right? No, I think he's making it clear that as I'm saying all these things, this is not something that a Christian should be, in quotes, doing, right? Or gee, you would find Jesus doing, right? It's it's because of your rebellion. It's because of your stubbornness that I'm having to boast. I'm having to present my credentials to remind you that God actually qualified me to be an apostle to you, Corinthians. So I, 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 I lean more towards that translation. But again, it's good to always know what people are thinking just to, to have that allowance, right? And, and, and so he's saying that seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I will also boast. So this was a church where a lot of people, we read, we started with that in the early part of this chapter, I'm sorry, of this book, where people are boasting about themselves, boasting about their abilities, boasting about the things they can do. Oh, this is who I am and all of that. And so Paul is saying, let me join them. Let me join them. He says, you put up with fools gladly since you yourself are wise. And here he's using, um, he's being satirical, right? This is, he's, he's being sarcastic. That, oh, you are able to put up with this boasters because you yourselves, you you know how to discern. You think that somehow you are able to tell who is who by what they say about themselves. And he goes on to, in quotes, yab them even further. He says, for you put up with it if someone brings you into bondage, if someone devours you, if someone takes from you, if someone exalts himself, if someone strikes you in the face. Right? And so Paul is Paul is confused or he's he's clearly unhappy because these people are taking advantage of you. But just because they continue to brag about themselves, who they are and what they can do, the you're somehow oblivious to it. And we see that in the world today. Right. There was a documentary that came out um, about a supposed man of God. And you watch it and you're like, that's exactly what is happening here. That you put up with bondage, you put up with being devoured, you put up with being stolen from, you put up with being abused. Why? Yet you claim to be wise. Yet you claim to know who is who, based on what, how they present themselves. How? How? When has that ever been the criteria for effective ministry or for 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 discerning who truly is sent from God? Oh, this is what they said about themselves. Oh, this is how they present themselves. Oh, no. 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 So that's what Paul is saying. And he says, to our shame. Now he's even being even more sarcastic. This is this so many figures of speech going. He says, to, to our shame, we are too weak for that. If you think he, he's... It's interesting how he phrases that, that these people are doing all these things. Yes, we're not on their level. If, if, if that is what it means to be a man of God, is that, if that is what it means to be strong, right? That means to boast, to flaunt your wealth, to flaunt your skills, your abilities, your achievements. He says we're too weak for that. That is not how our ministry will be recognized. And if, if, if that means that you will fail to discern truth, we're too weak for that. We're not going to... 
We're not going to become self-centered. We're not going to exploit you for your money. We're not going to take advantage of you just so that you feel that we too, God-centered. He says, we're too weak for that. He says, but what in whatever anyone is bold. So we're not going to exploit you. But on these grounds of who is who, he says, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. I am bold also. So that you will know that these people don't have anything that we don't. And you are shortchanging yourself. You're shortchanging yourself. And then he starts to go on. So I want us to pay attention. We're getting into the heart of, of um, our teaching today. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. This is the same Paul that in Philippians said what? All these things, I count them as dung. So clearly he's not contradicting himself. He's not saying that this somehow equips him to be a better minister. Don't miss what he's saying. He's saying that these are the things that these false teachers are bragging about. That even on those grounds, I can meet you on your level. But in the truth, in, in reality, they mean nothing. Is there, is, is, is there anything about being a Jew that makes you a better minister of the gospel than being a Gentile? Of course not. But if that is where you have dragged your, your discernment, and your expectations too. He's like, fine, I would meet you there and show you that they are no better. And I think that raises a very, very big point in our own hearts. When we look at what, in quote, God is doing in the world, how do we discern? Would you have been, if you lived 2,000 years ago at the start of the early church, would you have been like the Corinthians and said, ah, this pastor is Jewish, so <laughs> I can trust him more. Paul says, I count it all dumb. That's not, that, that's not where we find the evidence of genuine ministry, of genuine Christianity. It's not in the wealth. It's not in, 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 in quote, what we like to call results. No. No. Where does it lie? We're going to see. He then goes on to verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? He says, I speak as a fool. I am more. I love that. I am more. Now, if someone is compared, so on, first of all, he compared biologically. He's like, we're all Jews. I'm a descendant of, of Abraham just like they are. So they can't come and say, oh, don't listen to Gentile teachers. We are the Jews. We are the ones that know the truth. They're like, I'm a Jew as well. He now says, even in their service to Christ, he says, I am more. Now, if let's say someone came to you and said, compared to all these ministers of the gospel, I am more a man of God. In today's world, what are the things that you would have wanted to see to validate his claim? Number one, maybe the size of his church, right? You see, ah, he pastors a hundred thousand people. Wow. For some others, maybe it will be his wealth, right? Say, ah, God has really blessed him. That means God approves of what he's doing. I hope none of us here think that way. Wealth has never been a sign of divine approval. If that's the case, why is it that on the Forbes list, most of them 
<laughs> don't believe in your God as strongly as you do. <laughs> right? Why is it that the richest Christians are not always the most devoted Christians? It shows that it's not correlatory at all. Does God bless and make rich? Of course he does. Does he do so to the proportion of genuine Christian devotion? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. For some, it would have been, oh, how many miracles? Ah, he has raised five people from the dead. This one has raised seven. Therefore, is this one. <laughs> seven is greater than five. His ministry is greater. Right? Forgetting that John the Baptist did not work one miracle. And yet, Jesus called him the greatest prophet that ever lived. Why? Revelation. He knew the Messiah. He got to see the Messiah. Everything that these people have been prophesying, he saw it. And on that basis alone, he announced, he was literally the last person to announce that the Messiah is here. All of them was the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. His message was the Messiah is here. And on that basis alone, he's the greatest prophet. Do you see it? It's so clear that God doesn't see things the way we do. So if someone says, oh, my ministry is greater. For some, you look for the following. Others might look for the affluence. Others might even look to the miracles. But look at what Paul starts to describe as a more excellent ministry. The first thing he says, in labors, more abundant. First mark, he says, in labors, in labor, the, the word there is the word kopos in the Greek, K-O-P-O-S. It means like a cut, it's like they literally cut you. But it's an analogy of what? To have your strength reduced. It literally means pain. pain. Right? When you say laborer, you've been carrying, so, you know, for those that work out, how you, let's say you didn't work out for months and then you go to the gym. Or let's say you don't work out normally and then you go on a hike. How you feel the next day? That's labor. <laughs> that is labor. I, say, I can't feel my legs. That, that very feeling <laughs> is what Paul is describing. As though they are, they are beating you. That, he said, in labors, more abundance. In stripes, above measure. <laughs> That's king. It's not, uh, when is it stripes? Oh, they, they, they flogged him. He says, in prison, more frequent <laughs> in death often. Think about that. Paul is saying, I, I, as a minister of the gospel, I am more. How? I've suffered more. I've suffered more. I have put more on the line following Jesus than they have. That's, that's the lens to view it from. Because I've labored more. I've been beaten more. I've been thrown into prison more. I've been put on the face of death more. And that's why we say what we say that you'll be very surprised when you get to heaven and the rewards God have or the rewards that God has for some Christians. And you're like, ah, I didn't know him exactly. Like, ah, but what about 
and don't get me wrong, thank God for the faces of Christianity, the people that are in the media and in the limelight, clearly as representatives of the gospel. And I'm not even saying that it's one or the other. I'm not saying that for them to have gotten there, they didn't have labors and sacrifice. No, don't get me wrong. I'm saying that we oftentimes tend to think that the biggest names are the biggest ministers. I'm saying God doesn't always see it that way. You would be surprised when God starts to read the roll calls of people that give up million-dollar careers, million-dollar business opportunities to go save a dying world in a country where they died. And God says, in labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. You would never know their names. Never know their sacrifice. But if truly we are ministers of who? Of Christ. Then it's him we're living for. And it's the same thing to you personally. Don't evaluate your, your worth, your contribution to the body on the basis of just popularity and numbers or even reward, financial reward, stuff like alone. No. You know, I touched, I touched on this, was it last week or two weeks ago? Are you doing what God has asked? I think it was two weeks ago, yes. Two teachings ago. Are you where God has planted you? Are you doing what God has asked you to do? If you are, if you are, do, do I rebuke you. He sees your labor. He sees the sacrifices. He sees it. <laughs> he sees it. And to him, it is worth it. It is proof. Proof of your commitment to the gospel. Proof of your commitment to the gospel. So what are the marks of a more excellent ministry? The same way we said, what, what are the marks of, a, of your four-year degrees in school? It's those sleepless nights. It's those times where you had five assignments due the next day and you thought you were going to die. Those are the moments that you're like, I end this day. <laughs> it's not, it's not uh, uh, I came to school. <clears throat> See, my name is on that. My name deserves to be on that paper. It's the same thing going on here. I'm a minister of Christ. Why? I've suffered for him. Suffered for him. He says, from the Jews, five times, I received 40 stripes minus one. <laughs> Some of you reading like, ah, so is it not to flock? As a kid, <laughs> I know growing up, for those that probably grew up in Nigeria, they'll call you in front of the assembly hall. Hold your trousers like this. He said, <clears throat> what, what is 40? 39 stripes? Then my dad gave me 50. It's not the same. <laughs> May they not flog you. 2,000 years ago. Some of you have watched Fashion of the Christ. Some of you have watched those. The flogging. They will first strip you naked. <laughs> they, will, they will first strip you naked. And you will bleed. You, you won't be able to lie down for days because it is horrific. When a groom is using dry, dry rope to flog you, you will know that it's not, it's not the same thing that your primary school teacher was doing. <laughs> They bring out your hand, bring out your hand. Ah, you can chest to this one is enough to make a grown man cry. The reason it was even 39 instead of 40. Very funny people. If you go to Deuteronomy 25, verse 3, it was actually a law, right? 
we can start from verse one. It says, if there's a dispute between men and they come to court, that the judges may judge them and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. It says, then it shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, that the judge will cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence according to his guilt with a certain number of blows. Verse three is our emphasis. 40 blows he may give him and no more. So remember, we've, I mean, we've talked about this at length, so I'm not going to go into that again, on the, on the teaching on tithing, right? How to read the law. So here you can see what God is doing. Like, first of all, punishment must be equal to the damage done. Don't just keep on, maybe our, some of our mothers, which I read this verse, the mommy, 40 blows and no more. <laughs> right? So that you're just, you, you're, not, you're not doing this out of anger. That regardless of whatever the person says, once he gets to 40, stop. This is part of the places where you see the wisdom of what God was trying to say. Was it really about flogging? No. It's about even in punishment, remember mercy. Even in judgment, it, it gets to a point where it's like, it's okay. Right? He said, 40 blows he may give him and no more, lest he should exceed this and beat him with many blows above this. So it's now a thing of just vengeance, unbridled revenge. It's no longer a thing of justice. He says, no. Lest your brother be humiliated in your sight. Think about that. that like this is why David will say, I read this and I'm, I'm like, God, you are a good God. Yes, I know we live in a world where today be like, ah, God commanded, I'm down. <laughs> Much more, huh? what, God, what is God teaching here? He's working through the Jewish culture to reveal justice, temperance. Don't punish out of anger. Don't just be beating your child. I will kill you. I will kill you. <laughs> it says 40 and no more. Lest the punishment is more than the damage done. <laughs> and you humiliate him. Beautiful. So what happened was because of this law, it became a Jewish tradition that they never reached 40. So they will stop at 39 because the Bible said 40 and no more. But what that meant, that was the full punishment of the Jewish law. Like if someone is going to flog you 39 times, you've done, because it's like maybe you stole um, their bag of rice, five floggings. Oh, you, you hurt them or you did something, 10, right? That was the idea. So if any time you appeared in a Jewish court and they say, we're giving you 39, it's like you've done the worst thing imaginable that does not lead to death. We're not going to kill you, right? But we'll flog you 39 times. Paul said, five times I was tried in that manner. Five times. On five different occasions, I was brought in front of a Jewish court and they said I deserve the maximum punishment of the law that would not require death. Think about that. Five times. I was flogged 30. You will not have it back. Huh? Like, in a, how many years did he do ministry? Five times. That's like one every two years. Five times. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. That's accident. Imagine your pastor coming to say, ah, I've been in an accident three times. Yet, God will protect you. Like, ah, physician, you, you say, pastor, I don't, I don't like your ministry. <laughs> How can my pastor have had car accident three times? See that. Then where was God, right? That's what we think. 
Imagine if you as a person, in the space of five years, you were in three car crashes. You Be honest with yourself. Your first thought would be, ah, God, didn't you say you would give your angels charge? How can my car have crashed? Three times, Lord, where were you? Holy saying, it was all part of the ministry. Three times, my ship was, was, was crashed. We have um, accounts of that in, in, in Acts, right? He says, a night and a day, I was in the deep, meaning I was just floating on, maybe I, you were Titanic. He <laughs> says, for a whole day and two, I was just floating. Me and the rose <laughs> were, were floating on the water. We're just floating. Before maybe I reached land or someone found me or whatever. Think about that. We don't like to read these portions. Will he give the angel? Yes, he promised that. Oh, this one is here too now. It's, it's in our Bible. Abi, is in our new the same place. Is it new? It's right there. It's right there. He says in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robber. Paul is saying, "I'm robber will come." <laughs> We're always in danger of being robbed. He says in perils of my own countrymen, Jews that hated me. We read in Acts an example that they even took oath. They said we will not eat anything until we kill Paul. And God did not strike them dead. Yes, he preserved him. And we're going to get to that. Because the point is, in all of this, the troubles came. But God preserved him. He didn't prevent it. But he preserved him. Very important lesson. We're going to touch on that in chapter 12. But just let's let's stick on course. It says, in perils of the Jews, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils... Literally, there is no place because of this message of Christ. People hate me so much that it doesn't matter where I am. They are after my life. Is it, if I'm in the city, they are coming. If I'm in the wilderness, they are coming. If I'm on the ocean, they are coming for me. He says in perils among false brothers, so even false Christians, that, are, oh, I'll get to the city and I think, oh, we're all Christians. Yes, some of them have been planted to try and expose me. He says, in weariness and in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and in thirst, in fastings often. The fastings here refers to lack of food. It's, it's not saying, it is not, nothing here has to do with devotion. <laughs> not that God, I want to pray all night, so sleeplessness. Mm -mm, mm -mm. This is, we're traveling, we're running, I could not sleep. Because if I sleep like, eh, they will kill me. In hunger, in thirst, in fastings, there were days I would go without food. Why? Because I'm running for my life. Why? Maybe in that moment, the financial aid has not come. There's no food. He says in cold, in nakedness, there were times I didn't even have clothes. This is Paul. After Jesus, perhaps the greatest Christian man to ever live. And this is his experience. This is his experience following Jesus. Not just his experience. It's his experience because he chose to follow Jesus. Do you realize that? That if he had stayed a Pharisee, his life would have been the exact opposite. He would have been rich, influential, reputable, respected, Because he was a Roman citizen. 
he would have risen along fast. He gave all that up. He said, yes to Jesus. I said, ah, the day you say yes to Jesus, your life will be better. <laughs> Look at Paul's life. The day he said yes to Jesus, experientially, his life got incredibly worse. These are things I would not, I can't even wish this on someone that does not like me. I'm not. That wherever you go, people will be looking to kill you. That cause alone. Do you know the stress it puts on you? Wherever, see, imagine that wherever you go in this life, someone will be looking to kill you. Ah, see, you will travel, you will, everywhere you go, they will be looking for you. See, you, you'll be flogged, punished time and again. You'll be thrown in prison more than you can count. Imagine saying, is it, not, it sounds like curse. He says you will not be able to, even, even in the places where you will find solace, people will betray you. Imagine saying that. There will be days you will not have, there will be days you will not eat, there will be days you will not sleep, there will be days. Uh -huh. And Paul says, it is worth it. What a perspective. What a perspective. Some of us need to build tougher skin. You need to read the scriptures like, and, and stay there. All the times, your entire 20 plus years of your life, or maybe your five plus years following Jesus, is only Deuteronomy 28. These blessings shall follow me, and there's nothing wrong. Don't get me wrong. I've, I've explained enough that I'm sure that if you, this is not your first time listening to me, you know what I'm trying to say. That is true. And that is the will of God. But there are times for his name's sake. For some of us, at least at some point in our lives, he won't always be, uh, he will give his angels charge. There will be times like Jesus. I say, ah, Father, where, where are you? Where are you? And we need that tougher skin. If any one of these things, not even all, if any one of these things had happened to some Christians today, the first thing on their mind is, God, why me? Did I do something wrong? Think, be honest with yourself. Be honest, if any of these things have happened to you, <laughs> accident, I'm robber. God, am I not your child again? Am I not? Hunger? God, didn't you say? Right? And again, he did. That's the, and that's the tension that I want us to embrace. I know it can be uncomfortable. You're like, okay, so what's the balance? We'll get the but it's like, but God did say, if I seek first his kingdom, all my needs will be met. <laughs> but you're really poor. Who have you sought first the kingdom more than poor? <laughs> be honest with yourself. I doubt it. So what is happening? What is happening? Before we even start to look at answers, be comfortable realizing that there might be things that would happen in our commitments to Christ that can be like, ah, God, how far? Jesus, if Jesus is really our high priest and our ultimate example, even Jesus on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, have you forsaken me? If it's possible, let this cup pass. Even Jesus, even Jesus, if it's possible, 
Let me not go through this suffering and pain. So I'm not saying this to now build some sadistic mindset. In, ah, I will suffer. No, Paul is not saying this. That's why I enjoyed. He did not enjoy any moment. Don't get it wrong. If you could have, if you told Paul, Paul, is there a way to do ministry without having this suffering? Paul would gladly say yes. <laughs> right? So this is not saying that it's a good thing. I'm not saying this to say God is throwing suffering at Paul. I say, yes, and God is smiling. No, 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 no. God does not delight in the death or the suffering of his children. So don't, don't misunderstand where we're going. And maybe reading into the next chapter would even set a lot more context. But my point is there are times where people who have devoted their lives to God have gone through immense pain. All I'm trying to say is that don't tie it to a lack of devotion. Don't tie it to a God why me mindset. Don't tie it to some form of entitlement that for this to have happened to you, God has failed you. There's a huge record of, of worse scenarios and it's, it's almost presumptuous to start to think that way. I mean, just think of what Christians in the world are facing. You have no idea how privileged we are that our own God, why me, is still visa, is still job, is still life partner. There are people in the world that they don't, they, they don't know. Following Jesus, they don't know that. They don't know as tomorrow is Sunday. They're like, we're going to gather, but it might be our last, our last gathering because if we get caught, we're dead. And I'm not saying that to say, okay, your needs are not important. God does. This is not a hair on your head, false. He does recognize your needs. I'm saying some of you need, you need to mat, you need to grow up. You need to grow up. Oh wow, you've not been praying as much. Oh, we didn't see you in church. Oh, you're not coming for evangelism. Oh, yes, you know, I just, I just, I just can't take it anymore. I, I have been single for too long. Ah. I don't even know what to say. Um, you stand, just know that there will be a day. God will line all of you and Paul will stand. You and uh, the Christians, your brothers and sisters in persecution, you will stand together. And God will ask you, why didn't you put me first? Say, you know, God, I just wanted a better job. And you will hear your brother in Christ. Say, they killed my wife while she was pregnant. <laughs> But I did not, I did not, it did not shake me. May we not be in that situation. That's what, that's all I'm trying to say. Think, do you know how embarrassed you feel? So yes, your needs are valid. Don't get me wrong. God cares and he does see you. But we need to grow up. In this, in this thing we call following Jesus, we need to grow up. Where the quality of our faith where the, the 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 motivation to live for God, our our pursuit of ministry is not tied to things like what we would eat, where we would go. They are important, and that's the, that's the where that's what Jesus was trying to say. They are important, but put this one first. Even if it doesn't look like this other thing, this one first. This one first. This one first. 
don't be that Christian that in the face of any form of adversity, you're questioning your faith. You're questioning, go, after I've served you. Imagine if Paul thought like that. Like, oh Lord, I've, won, I've won so much souls. <laughs> this is enough to make it. <laughs> he said, I'm not doing it again. I'm not doing it again. These are examples. I'm not saying it's easy, right? That's the word of God. As we're going to see even in, in the next chapter as well, sometimes strength only comes through struggle. There are certain things you cannot learn in comfort. It's we, You know it. God knows it. Sometimes, maybe failure is good. Maybe you, maybe you need to learn. Just maybe. Maybe that challenge is necessary for what God wants to do with your life. Just maybe. The same way you can't ride a bicycle without a few bruises. You can't walk without falling. Just maybe. Just maybe. There can't be salvation without death. Joseph cannot lead Egypt if he has not suffered in Potiphar's house and in the prison. Just maybe. And so, I want you to build a mindset that can handle setback, that can handle failure, that can handle, that can handle suffering without breaking down as though God does not care. Huh? As though it's not fair. Eh? It's not fair. <laughs> yes, it will be painful. Yes, neither you nor God <laughs> wants you to go through that pain. But it's necessary. It's necessary. It's necessary. That's what James is. He says, count it all joy. When your faith is tested, it says, because God is working in you perfection. It says, if any of you lack this perspective, ask him for wisdom. Ask him for wisdom. As we're going to see, Paul eventually got, so don't get, Paul three times he prays, hey God, I, this thing is too much. The same, and it's funny, Jesus has what, three times? <laughs> Maybe three times is the limit. He <laughs> says, God, is there another? Do I really... Are they going to flood me like? Are they going to hug me on the cross? Am I going to really bear the shame and the suffering and the sins of the world? Is, is there not another way? So I'm not saying this as like it's not easy. If Jesus could ask God for another way, if Paul three times could say, God, help me, take change my situation, you are in good company. So this is not some pretend to be a macho, I can't take it. Mm -mm. But then they got to a point, and I'm next week please oh ish, not teaching next week don't miss the next teaching it's going to be the part two of what we're covering today so please don't miss it or at least if you can't make it listen to the recording it's going to um crystallize a lot of things we're talking about but through prayer getting to a point where it's like okay i realize that yes i want change god wants change as well but me i want the situation to change but god wants me to change 
The change will happen, but it might not be. It might not be a change of circumstance. It will be a change in character. And being able to get to a place like Paul where he says, oh, God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. And that's why I started the way I started. I'm sure for some of you, at least, if not most of you, on some level, you've been through something in your Christian walk. It doesn't have to be flogging, pain, prison, but something in your Christian walk where you were like, God, change this. And God did not change it. But then you look back and you're like, I'm glad I went through this. I'm glad I went through this. I mean, I've shared time and time again. For me, one of the lowest moments for me was, and it's even funny to say, again, in perspective, it's like, really? Was when I had to move to the US. And it's like, oh, you're already doing ministry in Nigeria. You're already starting to hold meetings. And it's like, leave all that. Come here. And I was talking to someone then, the whole situation, he fell. I got heartbroken. Yes, in this season of Valentine's, <laughs> they served me breakfast because I left the country. <laughs> and so I'm coming to a new, not only that, it's like, oh, I'm going back to school. And I wanted to serve God. I didn't want to do computers. My business with computer souls are dying, Lord. Why should I study computer? <laughs> and so I was in a place where I wasn't, I, it was very weird. Especially because classes were not hard. I got perhaps one of my lowest scores ever in my life, in my first assignment. And I, ah, failure is looking at me in the eye. So I was in a very low place. Academically, right? All my life is, oh, first prize. You know all those kids that they used to just stay on stage because they just, that was me. <laughs> and it's like, oh, now you're surrounded by people that are very smart as well. And you're starting to feel like you don't really deserve to be there or they are better than you. And so you're going to be, you're going to fail this class, right? There was that. There was relationship wahala. There was the sense in which I had just, in a way, I felt like I had walked out on ministry to a place where nobody knows. And it's like, okay, God, how far? Like, it was very, very, plus, of course, for those that have traveled before, that, the whole homesickness, there were nights I could not sleep, right? I, I'll be in bed just awake for you because, like, what am I doing here? <laughs> What am I doing here? Whether it's heartbreak pain, homesickness, inferiority, everything was just there. And I'm not even saying, I'm not like, yes, for me at that point it was a big deal. But I'm sure there are people even on this call that have gone through worse, right? But what's my point? I look back at my life or not even life, the, the few years I've walked with the Lord. And I would say that was perhaps the most formative season spiritually of my entire walk with God. I kid you not. The, the, the way I learned to trust God and trust his will, even if it does not make sense because of that event, the way you, I, I learned to, to, to say, Oh no, God is, I'm, I look back, right? They say hindsight is twenty twenty. I look back. I'm, I've seen all that God has done through that one decision. I'm like, oh. But in that moment, if God had given me a way out, I would have taken it. There's no, I, I would have taken it. I would have taken it. I'd have taken it. And so many of you can relate. 
that that season where you waited on months for months to get a job days where you you were so dis, discouraged you couldn't even pray but you stuck through and let's say you got the job but if you look back at that season you'll be honest with yourself that it's not necessarily the fact that you got the job that is is the highlight it was that process that process and so again i say if god's best priority in your life is building a character that reflects his son then it makes sense that there'll be times where neither party is like it but you just have to go through it you you just have to like paul he will tell you i'm sorry it's not easy but just trust me my strength is made perfect in your weaknesses So grow up, build that mindset that can handle disappointment, handle pain, handle suffering, handle delay. And like Joseph, like Paul, like Jesus, you would still trust. You would keep your convictions. You would keep your joy. You would keep your peace and you would still keep serving the Lord That's the kind of person God wants you to be. That's what maturity looks like. Amen. And so Paul is is describing what it means to be a minister of the gospel. And this is what he turns to. He's not talking about all the miracles he has done. He's not talking about the souls he has won. And those are good things. What's he talking about? It's the, it's the labor. It's the, it's the suffering. Amen. I was in church um, on Wednesday. Um, the church I attend, we had a service. And I mean, the person that was ministering, he's like 70 plus, has been with the Lord 50 something years. And he said something that was just right along the theme of what we're discussing today. He said that at the end of the day, it's children that are needy people. What do I mean? As we're going to read into verse 28. So with all that, just keep that in mind. We'll read 28 and I'll get back to that train of thought, okay? With all that Paul is experiencing. Now, look at what he says in 28. It's it's incredible. He says, besides the other things, he says, besides that one, he says, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. It's, it's mind-blowing. Again, let it humble you. Someone is going through all of this and his biggest, the thing that he thinks about and considers his biggest burden is not the fear of death. It's not the fact that everybody hates him. It's not the fact that sometimes he might not have food. He might not have clothes. It's that he's like, how is the church of God doing? How is the church of God doing? That's what it means to put first the kingdom of God. Not that the moment a thing you need is, you know, say, ah, but God, I put first. Were you really putting him first? 
were you really putting him first? He said, besides these other things, as if it's, it's small that he has, as if the things he has not mentioned that is not enough to break a human being. He says, it's, it's, it's the prayer for the church. That's a minister of the gospel. That's a minister of the gospel. You can examine your heart in times of what is your biggest concern? Is it still your needs? Is it is it God? Where can I still be relevant? As as yes, I'm trusting you for immigration issues. Where can I still be relevant in your work? Yes, I'm trusting you for a life partner. It says other things. But the church, the church of God, the church of God. Yes, I'm trusting for healing for my parents. Other things. Church of God. The work of the gospel. How can we push this work further? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Yes, I'm trusting you for a job. But what can I do for the kingdom? That's the heart of a minister. That's the heart of a minister. Because at the end of the day, it's only toddlers, babies. They're like, ah, oh, mommy, I want to eat. And it's, it's, it's all about their needs. Ah, oh, mommy, I want to use the bathroom. Oh, mommy, I need to go to school. Oh, mommy, this. It's like they can't contribute. It's just needs, needs, needs. And there's nothing wrong with being a child that is needy. As if you are a child, the very def- by, very, by definition, by expectation, you should be needy. But as you start to mature, as you start to mature, there are things that are more important. And so maybe some of you have been children for too long. That because God is your daddy, and he is, he cares about your needs. He sees them. He says, he knows. But maybe you've been too caught up in my daddy, my daddy, that all you think God owes you is to meet your needs. You need to grow up. If you're still a child, fine. What I'm saying is not for you. Don't worry. God will still call you <laughs> into adulthood. But for some, uh-uh, five years, see, you've learned so much. In the words of the Hebrew author, by now you ought to be teachers. By now you ought to be doing more for the gospel. But it's, it still needs. The only thing in your prayer list, it still needs. It's not good. Though. Not good. Am I saying don't present your needs? Please do. Please do. But I'm saying more than your pressing needs. Have a heart that, that like God, <laughs> in the words of spend my life. <laughs> right? Spend my life. Spend my life. That if we check your hearts, what are your priorities? Yes, we would see those needs. I have things I'm trusting God for. All right? But more, just like Paul would say, besides these other things, there's a clear commitment to the cause of Christ. Now you're growing up. Now you're growing up. Now you know what it means to serve alongside the one who died for you. Am I making sense? And so I said it already that this would be, it's like we've been having weighty teachings and that's fine. But a lot of us need to wake up. Some of us that have woken up, we need these reminders. We need these reminders. Don't be so, imagine if all Paul was now doing, 
ministry started to answer like, God, help me oh, as I'm going in the water. Help me as I'm going in the sea. Ah, don't let them flood me. He won't be as effective. And while he trusted God to preserve, again, don't miss chapter 12, please. It's going to help a lot to contextualize a lot of these things. But he's like, besides these things, what comes upon me daily is my cons- my deep concern, the churches. He says, who is weak? Verse 29. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to stumble and I don't burn with anger? There's someone that he's saying they are flogging, they are stoning, he's hungry. He leaves all that and he's like, if I hear that there's a weak believer, it breaks me. If I hear that, ah, this brother doesn't come to church anymore. He says, I burn. That's, that's, that's the heart of a pastor. That's the heart of a minister of the gospel. Again, don't forget the context. He's comparing himself to these ridiculous <laughs> false teachers. They, can, they can't say half what Paul is saying. They cannot. That, he's saying that beyond these other things, he says, this is where... This is where the heart of ministry is revealed. That your commitment to the gospel, we can it, it trumps every other thing. Every other thing. Every other thing. Does, does the state of the church of God, of, the, of Christianity in your country, in your locality, in your workplace, does it bother you? You go out every day, you see people misbehaving. You open social media, you see stupid things that people are saying. Does it bother you? You hear your co-worker like, these people need the Lord. Does it, does it grieve you? Where is your heart? You have a Christian friend and they're like, oh, how's your prayer? Like, I've not really been able to pray. Does it, does it, does it stir up something in you? Do you even ask? Do you even care? A friend of yours is falling away. Do you call your guys? This this guy's coconut will bring him back. You're not going anywhere. Does the state of the world, with all that is going on in media and and in quote postmodern thinking, does it bother you? That children are growing up in a world where they feel they can be anything from a pink elephant to a dried tomato. Does it bother you? Does it bother you? Or you are still so fixed on God proving his faithfulness in your life by what? Meeting certain needs. Where is your priority? How how mature are you? How old are you? How old are you? He says, my concern for the church. I love what he says in verse 30. He says, if I must boast, I will boast in the things that concern my infirmity. This is, these are the things I will boast. I'm not going to boast about the money. I'm not going to boast about, no. Is this. The same way, if I'm to boast about my degree, is the sleepless nights. If I'm to boast about my marriage, is Say me, I'm sp- I speak as <laughs> is the time we had to make it work. I'm speaking for the married people here, not for me. 
<laughs> right? He says, if I must boast, I would boast in my infirmity. And so take note, we're going to talk about that next week again. When he says infirmity, nothing here has had to do with sickness. He's talking about all he has suffered for the gospel. So just take note. Highlight that word, infirmity, or maybe make a note in your in your journal or wherever you're taking notes. Paul's infirmity so far refers to all he has sacrificed um, for, the, for the gospel or all that the gospel has demanded of him. It's very important. We'll know why next week. But he says, if I must boast, I will boast in the things that concern my infirmities, not my successes, not my gifts, not my abilities, but my weaknesses, my suffering. In a world where it's so easy to boast about accomplishments, boast in the Lord. Boast in your commitment to the Lord. He goes on as I wrap up. He says, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever. He knows that I'm not lying. He says in Damascus, he gives the actual event. He says in Damascus, the governor under Aretas the king was guarding the city of Damascus with a garrison desiring to arrest me. He says, I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. He says, let me just give you one example, just one example. So you know I'm not, I'm not joking. They have to put me in baskets and lower me down the wall just so that they won't kill me. And he says, this is my everyday experience. And so, of course, for many of us, if not all of us, we might not be able to speak like Paul and say, these are the things we've, um, we've experienced or we've suffered. And that's fine. It's not a competition of suffering, right? Don't get me wrong. And this is very different from, oh, I'm sick or, oh, um, uh, the devil is having his way in my life. This is very different. I've talked about it before. I will talk about it more in chapter 12 where there's, there are times you can discern demonic activity and you put an end to it. This is not saying that whenever bad things come, you like say, ah, kisira, sira, no. Again, Paul prayed that it would be taken away three times. Jesus prayed that it would be taken away three times. There are times where it was taken away. All right? I'm saying that in the moments where it seems that your commitment to Christ is setting you head on, head on collision with pain and suffering. <laughs> and even after praying, you have that, oh, we're going to talk about, uh, there's a lot to talk about then. You have that openness of heart to hear God say, that's, that, that collision, it will happen. I'm saying in those moments, in those moments, trust God. In those moments, allow the pain transform you. In those moments, right? Like, like, like Paul, like he will preserve you. He will preserve you. He will preserve you. In all these things, none of them killed him. This is no ironic. <laughs> I mean, eventually he was beheaded, right? But up to this point, while there was still work to do, None of these things killed him. He was preserved through it all. And that's why he's saying, at this point, I just boast in God. Right? 
I boast in God. I boast in the fact that he has called me to this work. And while, yes, I have suffered for his name, it has only made me trust him more. That's a believer. That's the point Jesus got to us. He says, you know what? Nevertheless, not my will. That's, that's what it means to die to yourself. Not my, I recognize that my will is to have an alternative. But if this is what you, God, feel is best for my ministry, my, my formation, right, my character, then so be it. We'll go head on. We'll go head on. We'll go head on. I'm sure if you interview Joseph, you get to heaven, say, Joseph, give me 10 minutes of your time. Would you have had it any other way? Joseph would say, I, can't, I cannot imagine a world where I was right hand of Pharaoh if I did not go through this. I can't. If you interview David, David, if you could do it again, would you want to take out the shepherding in isolation, the lion, the bear, running from Saul. You say, ah, that is what made me. Who I, you, can't, you can't have David a man after God without all of this. You can't. That's like asking Jesus, if you could, will you take away the cross? What, what, what is left? What is left? What is left? Or would you take away the sacrifice, the suffering? It says, then what is left? Maybe some of us need to get to that point. Realize that maybe some of the things you are going through, you will go through or you have gone through, just like David, just like Joseph, just like Jesus, just like Paul. It, it, it has to. There's no other way. It will, it, it, if you are to be all that God has called you to be, you have to fall a couple times. You just have to. You just have to. He says, in this world, you will have tribulations. You will. It's not cause. Not swearing for you. I would. I. I also wish there was another way. But if in the wisdom of God, He says, I can't see any other path without passing through that pain. He says, be of good cheer. Some of you need to remember that today. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. I don't know. My heart is so heavy with this right now. It, some of us need, we need to get this. We need to get this. You can't keep, you can't keep questioning your walk with God questioning the good every time something bad happens. You, you have to grow up. You have to grow up. You have to grow up. You can't keep sacrificing ministry just because of inconveniences in your life. People have gone through worse. You have to grow up. You have to grow up. You have to choose what am I living for really is it for my well-being and my ultimate good where I have that beautiful job, beautiful house, beautiful family, and I'm fine? And it's a good thing. It is, right? That's why in the new creation, that's how it will be. But I'm saying, while you're on this earth, in this falling world, maybe 
there is no way that you will be all that good without going through a few, having a few scars. I think that's what it has to be. Are you fine with that? That it's the will of God above my comfort. It's the will of God above my needs. It's the kingdom of God, the church, the advancement of the gospel above my priorities. Always. Whether they are met, whether they are not met. It's God. It's the cause of Christ. You speak like that. And as I'm saying this, just as it is with the word, it will be tested. So it's very good you have an answer now. It's very good you have an answer now. You see songs like It Is Well With My Soul. I think I heard out the song of it. This guy had lost everything. And the only thing he could sing, When Peace Like a River, It Is Well With My Soul. Not Imagine in that moment, God, why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? Tell me why me? No, he said, It Is Well With My Soul. One of the best songs Christianity has had for years was born out of immense loss. Immense loss. Amen. Sela. <laughs> All right. I, th I think we would, um, would end here today. Um, all of us, including myself, we need to take time, if not now, at some point over the next few days, and reevaluate your consecration, reevaluate your priorities, reevaluate your dedication to the gospel, and be honest with yourself. My child, look at the last time you went through something hard, look at how you responded. Look at how you responded. Be honest with you. My child. My child. Or even just look at your, your current walk with God now, your devotion, your year. How has it been? Is there, is, is, is there a clear radical commitment to what God will have you do with your life? Or have you been so fixed on what you want him to do in your own life? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Ask yourself hard questions. If like Job, you were to lose it all, you were to lose your job today, what would it make of your convictions? What would it make of your devotion? What would it make of your service to church? If you were to lose, God forbid, right? And God forbid, these are not good things. Don't, I'm not saying this to glorify any of these experiences. God forbid, if you were to lose your spouse, would you be able to sing it as well with my soul? Or you say, well, I'm dead. Eh. If you were to lose that thing that has defined your identity, whatever it is that you think you cannot live without, let God work on your heart. Let, If he is Lord, let him be Lord. Let him be Lord. May God help us. Amen. Any questions? Again, don't miss the second half of this teaching. That's chapter 12 from verse 1 to 10. We're going to do that in two weeks. We're not meeting next week. Like I announced at the start, I have to be at a conference, but we're going to be back. That will be what? 
February 24th. Yes. Any questions? All right. Um, I'll pray. I, I don't know if there's usually questions following teachings like this, which is fine. I'll pray. Oh, oh, Angel, you have a question. Please go ahead. Ask your question. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for your teaching. Um, sorry, I was, I was trying to think about how to <laughs> how to phrase the question. Yeah. Um, so I know you said you're going to talk about the balance of like, you know, like the enemy having his way in yeah. your life and not just taking that. Um, so th this might be related, but I was just wondering, um, I'm sorry, I haven't formulated the question well. That's fine. Um, but I'm just thinking about the fact that the things that Paul went through that are recorded in scripture, I'm sure he went through other things, <laughs> um, but the things that he's talking about here are suffering for the sake of the gospel. And so some of the examples that you are giving um, are kind of just like, in this world, you have many troubles because you live in a sinful world. Um, so I guess, I guess the question, I can't phrase it yet. I'm just going to see my thoughts, but yeah. let's talk about the, can you please talk about the difference in perspective? Mm. Um, I know there's like the stuff of, about the enemy and all, but I guess there's a difference in just <laughs> suffering in life versus these things are coming as a result of my commitment to the gospel. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> it's a great question. And uh, you're right. It was, it's something I was going to touch on even more um, in, in the next teaching, but it's an important distinction to make for two reasons, I guess. On one hand, you know that, okay, this is because of my commitment to Christ. It, it, you know why it's happening, right? Um, but then what makes it interesting is as far as responding to it goes, the Bible does not usually distinguish between the cause. And what do I mean? For instance, up until now, the reason Paul is mentioning these things are because he's referring to ministry. So whatever you've, you've faced in ministry is clearly because of your commitment to Christ. I'm applying this in the broader context of your Christian experience because, again, not many of us are speaking or are operating under that context of public platform ministry like Paul does, right? For some, it's, we're just devoted in our local church and we do whatever the Lord would have us do amongst other things. But when you start to read verses like James, right? Um, that says, count it all joy when you fall into various times. Know that the testing of your faith produces patience. And then he goes to then explain, he says, the rich, the poor, that has, they are not rich because they were fallen just, they're not poor because they were fallen just, but he includes it as a test of faith, right? And so the response is still the same. The same thing in Romans, I believe it was Romans, uh, is it Romans 5? Yes. 
that we glory in our tribulations, knowing that our tribulations produce perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Right? Part of those tribulations include living in a world that is not God's ideal. Right? Because, for instance, we see references to Noah being troubled every day, lot as well, being troubled every day by the evil going on around them. That's not something that necessarily he chose. Because he's a Christian, he bothers him that much, and it's something that he has to deal with, but still included as a tribulation. Um, and then we, we, we get to Hebrews 12 as well. So I think those are three major scriptures that then talk about, oh, that... when we we face persecution from unbelievers and all of that the bible as far as our response to suffering right usually refers to persecution or things we face because we've committed to the gospel but then you see other places that then talk about comfort that talk about this same um perspective and it's general it's it's that broader con context of okay god how far god how far just lost a train of thought and that's not good um yeah so for instance in when he says no temptation has befallen you that's not common to man god will not allow you to be tempted more than you're able to bear along with that temptation make a way of escape right that's that's a much broader context when Hebrews says you don't have a high priest who has not been touched by your infirmities, that's 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 a more broader concept. Yes, it's devotion to Christ, but it's 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 also broader. The same thing when Paul Paul says, Oh, Epaphras was sick almost to death, but God had mercy on me so that I was spared sorrow upon sorrow. Right? That's more than just my commitment to the gospel. That's I'm facing the impact. Yes, he was doing ministry but he's facing the impact of a broken world. And so it therefore shows, again, if you if you project even backwards a bit onto the Old Testament, um, the things Joseph went through, commitment to Christ, granted, right? But then this is, we're talking about things like betrayal. We're talking about things like um being ganged up against by your brothers, right? That's, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And so while on one hand, you can separate the sources that, yes, I'm facing this because I chose to follow Jesus. So maybe you got, you got laid off because you were not willing to change numbers or something like that, right? That's clearly suffering for the sake of the gospel. But then, as you read through Jesus' interactions with people that suffer, as you read through the comfort that the epistles give the believer, you start to see that it, it becomes a broader scope of all that we will face in this world that isn't in line with the will of God. And it's like, ah, but God, I'm a Christian, but God, you've promised a new heaven and a new earth. Why is this happening? That, so things like we, we're groaning in this current world. The, the, the answer, the response to that 
is usually source agnostic. Like it has nothing to do with the source. It's the same response. But then again, and I, I think the what you also touched on and is so important to keep in mind is that whether it's directly because of your commitment to Christ or just the natural evils in the world, your first response should be to go to, like there's nothing wrong in going to God and saying, ah, my, my husband is sick. God, how far? Like this is not, this is not, your ultimate will. And you are right. Sickness is not the will of God. Um, let me even not use sickness because that's clearly next week's teaching. But let's say um, you're trusting God for a job, right? Or even, even in sickness, like in the moment, it's like, God, how far? Or I'm trusting God for a job. It's been a month. It's been two months. What's going on? There, there comes a point where the more you pray, the more you pray, and we're going to talk about perseverance and prayer and how that changes your perspective to know what God is really work doing in that moment. The more you pray, you realize that, oh, okay, I need to persevere. I need to keep on pushing. While this situation may be unpleasant, it's going to turn around for good. It's going to turn around for good. There are certain times where, let's say, in especially in the case of, let's say, suffering for the gospel or something, and it's like, oh, this might not change. That is not what God is doing. It might not change anytime soon. Maybe it will change eventually, but not anytime soon. And then your prayer point starts to change. So if you go to God in the face of hardship, in the face of suffering, and in the face of pain, and you discern this is demonic activity, this has no place here, you know what to do. You know how to respond. You know what to do. You know how to respond. But there are times where you go to God and <laughs> unfortunately, it's it's not the more you pray, the more you spend time. It's not like that situation is going to change right there and then. I don't know if that makes sense. So um, on one hand, we had Dorcas that was gradually falling sick and she died. And then she was raised back to life. But then we have um, Jarius's daughter. Oh no, Jarius' daughter was a bit late. We have people that and instantly they were healed. Or we have a Jacob who got touched the 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 his thigh, and he was limping for the rest of his life. Jacob knew better than to say, "God, heal my <laughs> heal my uh, socket, heal socket." He says, "No, this is a mark." of dependence on me and he will carry it for the rest of your life. Um, we have a James that the early church would have prayed for. I hope you realize that was killed. And we have a Peter that the early church prayed for and was delivered. It was not, it was not permanent. Peter was ultimately still killed. He was crucified upside down. You think they didn't pray before they crucified him or Paul, that says, oh, I trust that this will be delivered. Paul was delivered from the Roman Empire once. But the second time he said, my time is up. I think I'm actually, I think I'm going to die. And it's, I'm going to talk about it a bit more. It's it's that it's that place God calls us to, to ultimately trust him. Because even if in this world, persecution or whatever takes us out, 
we still know God's ultimate will. We know that there is a kingdom where he's making all things right. We know that he has no pleasure in sickness. He has no pleasure in pain. He has no pleasure in death. He has no pleasure in persecution. And so even in a world where you're like, but God, I prayed and prayed, and my aunt still died of cancer. What I'm trying to say from just this part one is that you can hold that and still hold the wisdom and the goodness of God. And it's not going to be contradictory. It's hard. You might not have answers like Job, right? Job never knew. <laughs> Do you realize there's nothing in the text of Job? You would think that God would say, ah, Job, it was because the devil came or that's why this happened. Job never got that perspective, at least not on this side of eternity. What did God do in Job? He showed him how complicated the world was. And he said, trust me. And things changed, right? Things changed. For Paul, till he died, <laughs> did not change. He was persecuted till the day he died. Um, and so it's a very good question because there are certain things in our lives where it's like, okay, this has nothing to do with my devotion to God. Why is this happening to me? All I'm trying to say is that God can use any event, any event to help us grow. It doesn't always have to be tied to our dedication to him. Any event can help us. I didn't come to the earth because I was pursuing the cause of Christ. <laughs> but God used that to, 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 to teach me a couple things. So um, that's my point. That yes, the sources, you are very right. A lot of examples we see, especially in the life of Paul, is tied to his devotion to Christ. But the perspective that the Bible gives us on handling pain and suffering is regardless of where that pain and suffering is coming from. Does that make sense? And we're going to we're going to talk more about it next week. I, I sorry, next in chapter twelve as well. But it's a very good question because some people now use this to say, "Oh, I'm not going to pray for healing." Maybe God just wants me to be sick. And I think that's a step too far. Um, and we're going to talk about that next week. Um, you can trust God even in the process of waiting without getting to a point of resignation that, oh, maybe this is the will of God. We're going to talk about that. That's actually the, how to balance it is the teaching for next, next um, for chapter 12. So thank you for asking. Any other questions? All right. Um, I'll pray and then we'll call it a day. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, for your word. Thank you for scriptures like this that challenge us, that challenge us. And I pray, Lord, that you help us grow, help us mature. And in our walk on this earth, that there's nothing we face that will question our commitment to you, that would reduce our commitment to you, that would put you first, regardless of what it costs us. I pray that everyone listening to this teaching would be able to find that time to build that fortitude, build that 
that place of confidence in you where nothing in this world can touch. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, I would share my screen. We'll take the benediction. So graciously prepared to by Pukyanaya. And then we call it a day. I believe we can all see my screen. Feel free to unmute yourself. Let's read together. One, two, go. I am a diligent student and doer of the word. I am a teacher of the word. The word is profitable for my growth. By the word, I am corrected. By the word, I am trained in righteousness. And in the word, my spirit rejoices. Glory to God. Hallelujah. All right. Thank you all for your time. I'll see you in two weeks. Happy Valentine's to those that have Valentine. Happy Valentine's to those that don't. Jesus is your is our forever Valentine. <laughs> Enjoy your week. Think on these things. Feel free to also read chapter 12 and um build that context of okay, this is what Paul is saying, this is what Paul is not saying. And we're going to look at it together in a few weeks. All right. I love you all. All right, now we've come to the end of today's episode and I hoped that it blessed you in many more ways than one. And if it did, I want you to do a couple things for me. The first thing is I want you to take out some time to pray and to meditate over the things you've learned in today's teaching and to see how you can begin to apply it to your life, starting from this week. Because it's important we remember We're not just to be hearers, but doers of the word as well. The second thing I would appreciate is to think about someone you can send this to. If this teaching has blessed you, then pass it on to a friend, to a co-worker, to someone you know who needs to hear this. And finally, don't forget to leave a like, subscribe, leave a comment if you're feeling up to it. And I'll catch you in the next episode. God bless you. Bye.